Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's me again. I'm going to try to see if I could possibly... I don't have teaching today. The schools are off for this winter business. So I'm going to see if I can hop around because later in the week, I'm sure I'll be busy. If I could manage to send off the Parsha today, in addition to the biography, that'll be good for my schedule. So let's take a, a shot at it. Uh, I want to thank sponsor today is the Stefanski family. Our, uh, God bless them. They're my most steady um, sponsors. Uh, often, and without people like that, I wouldn't be doing this. You know, they're, besides the fact they help cover the expenses, but it's also makes you feel better if somebody appreciates it. Uh, because if you're not in the mood, you know, at least if I'm not in the mood, I'm not going to do it. You know, got to be in the mood. Uh, I do want to take this opportunity, however, to mention the family Simcha, uh, and to mention that as part of the dedication today. Uh, my, let's see now. To be a great nephew, my wife's great nephew, uh, Tamar, is going to be the bar mitzvah of Shmuel Simcha Safin. And I told them, and I mentioned this as part of the podcast that's going to go out. He's having the bar mitzvah on Wednesday, and then this Shabbos he's laning. And uh, the parents are Tamar and Nelson Safin. And uh, so, in other words, the bar mitzvah boy's grandmother is my sister in law. And uh, uh, hopefully, and I know they listen to podcasts sometimes. And hopefully they will grow up to be uh, all that their parents want from them. Torah and Chuppah Maisim Tobin. Amen. Now, um, we have, of course, Pasha's Yisro, which is always has so many different aspects to it. If I wanted to, I could spend the whole time talking about Yisro. I bet you I did that in the past. You see the father-in-law and son-in-law dynamic and all that. <laughs> and Moshe sends them packing. Sends them packing. You know, but... Uh, I don't want to concentrate on that, but rather one or two other things, especially the you know, bar mitzvah boys. Yeah, well, things all you know, two, two or three points. They're very interesting. Obviously, Yisro has got to be the hardest parsha, simply because what happened Har Sinai. No, nobody can figure it out. And when I say nobody can figure it out, it's a statement of fact, right? Not a hyperbole. And yet, you're trying to describe the revelation, which is a target sorcery almost, because how can God, which is beyond Hasogos, be, be Musog, right? Even Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't really do that. Moshe later on says, show me your ways, let me see your face. God said, you're going too far. It's not possible for a human being. Because uh, we define God as that would create, create everything, and even that's a created idea. And here I go again. So you can't even say God is beyond Hatsogos, because that too is a created idea. So all you can say is like nothing. Now, uh, and yet this nothing appeared in some fashion, Har Sinai, and communicated stuff, and uh, went on to give a lot of rules and regulations, which you and I call the Tariyag Mitzvahs. That's a big Tariyag Sasri. And to try to figure it out, uh, it's fascinating, but ultimately frustrating. And uh, it's a wonderful Ben Abichaya who kind of brings this out. Um, I'll tell you why I'm mentioning why this talk came to me, of all things in this parsha. When there's so many... This morning I did the biography of the Rajvah. 
And the Rajba lived in Spain in the 1200s and early 1300s. And Ben Abachaya is his student. But Ben Abachaya was like a specialist in public speaking. You understand? The Rajba was in the Lumdus and all that sort of thing. Ben Abachaya was, you know, um, I don't know, what we would call today a Magid. Uh, very high Madrego. You know, to be Magid for the Rajba was pretty good. But that's what he specialized in. The Rajah was a halacha guy, Gemara guy. You know, I'm sure he could give speeches. I mean, you see sometimes, you know. That's not what he was into particularly, but Ben Abichai was. When you look at the commentaries on the Chumash, you have to understand that each and every one of them lived in a time and a place. And everything is affected by the time in which they lived. There's some kind of firm idea that if you read something, a Dvar Torah, it's like independent of history, which is ridiculous. Sam Sarenfilosh didn't come up with his ideas except by the fact that he lived when he lived. Same thing with the Maharal. Same thing with the Chazinim. Same thing with Sadigon. That's normal. It, the Torah is a timely document. It's also timeless, but it also is timely. And therefore, you're always, uh, you know, changing or adjusting or, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, modifying the stance to understand it better according to the, the time in which you live. And that is the reason, my friends, you l- learn different from some appeal to you, some do not. Because some were written very time-specific, and sometimes they transcend the particular times in which they live. It's, it's fascinating that way. Now, in the case of Ben Abichaya, uh and the Rajbub, so at their time, there was a lot of uh, philosophical doubt, shall we say. And people wondering, how can you have miracles and things like this based on science? It was Aristotelian science, but nevertheless science, and things of that nature at that time. I, I get it. And... Um, one of the problems with this is the entire uh, metaphysical quest is an attempt to try to understand what goes on in the world of the metaphysical, which is beyond time and space. And is a person capable of doing that? Now, the Torah discusses that, but is a person capable of doing that? And even when the Torah discusses it, can a person understand what the Torah is even talking about, since you and I have no basis for, for, for getting into a reality that exists beyond time and space? And yet at the very beginning of the Chumash, it says, First, God created the metaphysical, and then he created the physical, the Shemayim, and then the arts. I mean, it doesn't mean the sky, you know, the metaphysical, and then the earth, and then the physical. Now, ordinarily, this would be just an arcane topic, not in this week's Pasha. Let me just preface this, because, um, you know, uh, there's a famous uh, teaching. There's a lot of very good Bain Vichai's in this week's Pasha. What can I tell you? Not that I'm such a freak of Bain Vichai, but sometimes it's home run. And to me, to me. And he has a nice one where he talks, and this is no gay for Bar Mitzvah, boy and the whole family and all the rest of it, where he talks about the fact that we all know very famous, and when the Torah is about to be given, God says, first tell the women and then tell the men. Right? First tell the women and then tell the men. And, um, you know, the Gemara gives reasons for that and so on and so forth. First tell the women and then tell the men. But the Vayne Mechai says, Something which is very interesting and very true. By giving the women first, you're acknowledging a metzias, a reality. And that is, the, the Torah will only survive through the women, through the mothers. <laughs> it's like a Beziako speech, but it's true. Okay? It's true. But, you know, if you don't do, basically, if you don't do Koso, Sermon, La Beziako, then it's a waste of time beside B'nai Yisrael. Because... The man might, may or may not, uh, you know, uh, follow it, but he's not very good usually 
and transmitting it to the next generation. It is the, uh, the mainly the mothers. That's a, that's how it goes in history. And uh, there's plenty of people you see the fathers. One way, well, I won't go into into specifics, but there's a that's a that's a powerful reality, right? And Ben Mekhi must have seen that because you know he people person. He's always speaking for shoals and communities. That's what he did for a living. They see who is it that brings their kids to shul, and who is it that brings kids kids to learning even, okay? Kids to learning. Uh, but in a more philosophical note. Um, Ben and others are drawn to the very interesting reference constantly through the Sinaitic experience where God keeps saying over and over again, stay away from the mountain. Stay away from the mountain. I don't know if you noticed that. Maybe you didn't look at the Parsha yet. But it's over and over again. Right? It's it's kind of interesting. Uh, consider well. You open the Parsha to Yisrael and said, They arrived at Harsinai and so on and so forth. And Moshe goes up and gets a message, goes down and goes up and goes down. And he, he's like a, a messenger boy. And then God says, Soon I'm going to appear to you in a cloud. To validate you. This is the famous Rambam. The Rambam, of course, living in his time place, trying to refute you know, the Muslims and the others. So he's saying, the whole Messias, the whole purpose of Mahomet Sinai was to validate Moshe Rabbeinu as God's messenger, because Moshe is going to transmit the other 613 mitzvahs or whatever. So, Bavur, it doesn't say I'm going to appear in the mount, uh, myself in a cloud to you to give you an immediate experience of the divine, so it'll be stamped with this unique, you know, Maimon Harsinai, and then you'll be able to talk about it for your children afterwards. That would make sense too. That's not what it says. It says, So people believe in you. And then God goes on to say, So Moshe takes that message, runs down from the mountain, and tells that to the people. That guess what? God is coming in a, in, a, in a cloud in order to hear me, hear him speak to me. And then Hashem says to Moshe, notice after he goes up again, Tell him to go take a wash and a shave and so forth. And be ready in three days. You're going to have the revelation. And keep everybody away from the mountain. Notice God will appear in the mountain. Whatever that means. Because, you know, God's not physical. But he's going to come down on the mountain. Stay away from that mountain. This is Hashem talking. And he even tells the people... Let me rephrase that. He even tells Moshe what to instruct the people. Laymore. He must. Don't even come close to it. Don't even touch it. Anybody comes close to it will be shot. Will be stoned. Alright? Cast down. Uh, and so on and so forth. Okay, fine. Got it. And then proceed. He tells everybody, get ready, take a take a shower, and all this business, right? Moshe right, gets them all ready on the day of Shabbos at the at, at the bottom of the mountain. He calls a shofar, the mountain's on fire, and the shofar is, is sounding. Moshe So all of a sudden you have you read this, Hashem al Harsinai. And then he calls Moshe up here. 
What's he telling Moshe? He said, well, raid hoid, bomb, pin your solar, nothing to interrupt. Keep the people away from the mountain. Now, you already told him that. Now, to tell you the honest truth, knowing the Jews the way we do now, and that nobody listens to COVID rules and funeral rules and all this kind of stuff, it totally makes sense to me. Totally makes sense. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that God said, everybody stay away from the mountain. But as soon as they come, people rush to the mountain anyway. And Hashem has told, has told Moshe, get them back. Get them out of here. You understand? It's a Jewish way. They were like Hasidim or something like that. I had occasion yesterday, because of my lectures, to see online, because I'm always looking for movies and things like that to do. There was a, uh, on Lubavitch uh, TV or whatever they call it, and they had a thing of the Free Dicker Reb when he came to, to the United States in May, uh, February 1940. He escaped the uh, Warsaw Ghetto. The Hasidim, the Lubavitchers, pulled it off. It's a book about it. And they have like a movie. In other words, it was filmed by the news. And what you see is <laughs> that the cops are trying to hold the crowd back from, from going on the pier, and they rush in anyway. So it's not something from the COVID. It's Isaiah Gatus. And you can take it back 3,000 years to Maimon Harsina, because Hashem told him already before, stay away. Whoever touches it will be killed. You'll be stoned. You'll be shot. Doesn't matter. Keep the people away. Right? And keep the Kohanim away also. So it sounds like, you know, they were all told not to come near the mountain. But once the divine presence, however you interpret that, comes on top of the mountain, people rush forward. Right? And the Kohanim too. And Hashem is telling Moshe, get them out of here. They're going to get killed. And Moshe says, that is not true. We have strong rope. Moshe. They can't come up. You told me to put, put a rope around it. So it's over and over again. It's, it's almost funny, right? It's almost funny. Why do you have to keep repeating this? Now, there is a famous Medrash Rabba. I haven't been to Medrash Rabba lately, but I remember for many years of doing it, the membership is very nice part. You might call it a philosophical part. And that is that uh, Hashem was, maybe Rashi mentions this, that Hashem was um, saying, look, I'm going to be in the mountain. If you're up here at the same time as me, people think there are two gods. There's me and Moshe. And I got to make it clear there's only one God. Therefore, you get out of here and go down. And when Moshe was up in the mountain, Hashem said, go down and tell him. And Moshe didn't hop. You know, Moshe said, he took it. No, he didn't take the hint. Medrash indicates, you know, Hashem said, go tell the people to stay away from the mountain, which is a polite way of saying, get out of here, go down the mountain. Moshe then Chappi says, we already told him that. So Hashem said, just let raid, you know, go down and tell him again. And Moshe says, okay. And as soon as he goes down, there's only one being on the top of the mountain. Then he gives the Ten Commandments right away. Because the language in the Chumash, it, it repays close study. The language in the Chumash is that, by uh, Hashem, lech raid, you go down and only, um, you know, the, take everybody da- down and uh, come back later with Aaron and uh, the Kohanim later. Uh, and keep everybody else away. Moshe went down and he said this to them, meaning stay away from the mountain. And also the Ten Commandments. So the way the Manish explains it, if I remember correctly, is that once he got him out of the way, Hashem said, now I'm going to pronounce the Ten Commandments. And that way they'll see there's only one of us up here. It's not, it's not me and Moshe. 
or me and any other creature, to warn against dualism, pluralism, trinities, and all the other kind of business. That's a very nice word, actually. But uh, the but I was attracted by the Ben of Chayev, like I said before, since I'm talking this morning about the Rashba and the period in history when the Rashba was living. So the problem you had at that time in many places was, shall I say, uh, philosophical speculation over the meanings of a scripture and the tendency to try to allegorize everything. Uh, so what it means is that, look, uh, Hashem can't come down on a mountain. On the other hand, Moshe did go up a mountain. But what does it mean Moshe went up a mountain? After all, he didn't go to the top of a certain hill and get the turret and God wasn't there. I mean, the way you read it is God was on the top of the mountain. So let's say the mountain is uh, 2,000 feet up. So Moshe went 2,000 feet up and there he met God. God's not physical like that, right? What does it mean Moshe went to Shemayim, all these Midrashim, and he got the Torah somehow or other. They're real. He came back with the Torah. It is divine in origin. So what does it mean he went to Shemayim? Moshe never physically climbed to heaven. Heaven is a non-physical reality, metaphysical reality. You get it? If I was Moshe, there's no way to climb up to a place called Shemayim. Uh, what Moshe did, if you want to be very factual about it, is he goes up to the top of the mountain and he does that. But once he's at the top of the mountain, he has a mental experience. And the mental experience can be described also as going to the top of a mountain. But it's a mental, spiritual experience. And with your mind, the neshama, whatever it is, you can go to Shammai. You go to another dimension. If you know how to do it with your mind, you can go to a metaphysical area. And there, I shouldn't even use the word there because it's not a space, but in that state, he gets the Torah and it's translated, as we would say in English, to Olam Hazah, to the physical world, and so forth. But that's tricky. And I might be wrong. This is how I understand it. You know, these kind of things, it's not easy to tell what's going on. And so, the uh, Bain Mechaya, let me put it this way. So the Rajma has always had a problem of the over-speculation -specula over the nature of miracles and the divine. Don't do what I just did. Don't go and spend a lot of time trying to figure all that stuff out. Because you can't. And the danger of philosophical speculation is the more refined and sophisticated it is, the closer you think you're getting to the truth. And you're not really getting to the truth, right? Because if something is infinitely beyond you, then another five steps doesn't get you closer. That makes sense? Something is not possible to be massing, then getting another five steps is not really closer. The only thing you can do is eliminate false notions. That's how Maimonides puts it. You know, to get rid of wrong ideas. But you're just getting rid of another wrong idea and another wrong idea. You're not really getting to the real idea. Okay? Now, there's a value of getting rid of wrong ideas. But it's not the same thing as getting to right ones. I don't know if I'm confusing you, but that if, if I am confusing you, that brings out the point. And the main Mechaia says in a long passage that, uh, indeed, the meaning of stay away from the mountain is don't speculate in what you're about to see. Right? Don't speculate what you're about to see. And uh, it's worth uh, reading. He tries to explain, because it's very confusing what happened. Seder, Hadvarim, Haibim, Matandor, King, and Zeph. Take a look at it in 1924. Here's the order of events. Tchilat Siva, Lemosheh, Higbalta, Samshitim, 
First, he set that uh, border around the mountain, and then he goes to discuss this in some detail. I won't uh, spend the whole time with you. If you want to, you can look at yourself. And then he says over here, What's this idea that people shouldn't try to lo yehersu? They shouldn't be horace, which is to crush and destroy. La los el Hashem. Ah, this is just a repetition like I told you before. I will near Kisham Haven Moshe, Shasrashi Yisro Sam Shalialohar, believe Musumakushaim, that Moshe understood that when God says, stay away from the mountain, what he was trying to say is, don't look at what you're about to see. So apparently, uh, I don't understand exactly, but apparently if you stay away at a certain limit, you can't see what's happening at the top of the mountain. And Moshe said, don't worry about that. We've taken care of that. And then God said, no, no, you didn't understand what I said. This, Oh, that's a different story. So the reason we're repeating it is because Moshe didn't get it right the first time. When I said stay away from the mountain, I was using a metaphor. They know about that. You guys are about to see something, the B'nai Yisrael. You're not going to understand what you see. It's going beyond you. Now, it's necessary. I, God, want you to see it. You're not going to be able to interpret it. You won't. It's, it's a unique. We will perhaps use certain Lashonas that people are familiar with, but it's not what you the way we usually understand it. If there's going to be Aisha at the top mount, it's not going to be a regular Aisha. If we're going to hear a cold chauffeur at the top mount, it's not going to be a regular cold chauffeur, etc., etc. And don't try to understand it. Okay? But rather, what he's saying is, um, don't try to be closer in Hasoga and comprehension. And that's why it says, don't go beyond a certain point. The human being is limited. Now, I, God, am going to take you to a place which is beyond the human limitations. But very few, nobody will actually understand it. So it's it's a funny business. It's something along the lines, if I gave you a psychedelic face, uh, experience, I mean, you know, you wouldn't know what you, what you saw even, right? But necessary to have it. Necessary to have it. Uh... Nobody out there, even the Kohanim won't be able Don't even try to figure out. Don't be misaver to do something which cannot be uh, uh, understood. And that's why he says the language, this is a nice deal. It says Pen uh, Why does it say Pen Yersu Liros is Hashem? Why does it say Penyersu El Hashem Liros? And he said, because otherwise you think it is possible to see God, you just aren't allowed to. And I'm telling you, you can't see it. Okay? I don't think it's possible to see, or, or as we would say today, to understand God. But no, it's beyond that. Okay? So basically, Benokai is very nice. It's a nice homiletic part. And I think it has a political uh, uh, feel to it. Because in his time, 
What is the feeling of the Rajma and people like that and Ben Mikhaya to those who are metaphysicians, who are philosophers, who try to go beyond, beyond? The answer is you're, you're trying to do something you cannot do. And pen uh, soup, you'll screw up. And you come out with wrong machshavas, and it'll just make trouble. And that was what the the, the controversy raging at the end of uh, the life of the Rajma that I mentioned before was all about. People are trying to do this and he uh, to 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 uh, have a better understanding of what God is, what exactly is a miracle, what exactly is nubuva. And these guys didn't approve of this, right? Their attitude is: you believe in general, the exact uh, details that you won't be able to figure out, uh, and don't try. Stay away from the mountain. Now, that's one point of view. Another point of view is, you know, a man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's happening for him? People are built in such a way they want to know. And they'll go for it. Now, uh, in this line, it's very interesting because, as I said before, today my, my, my mind is on the Rajva because I did it in the morning. And the Rajva has thousands of teshuvas, shalas and teshuvas, on every possible subject, including Ashkafa. And one of them, in a, in the fourth volume of the Shuvas of Rajva, uh, number 234, the guy asked the Rajva, how do you understand Maimon Hasinai? Right? It's, a, it's a very straightforward question. Like, is it a real story? Is it a not real story? Like I said before, Moshe went up the mountain. What does it mean he went up the mountain? It can't literally mean he went up the mountain. Or let me rephrase that. Maybe he physically went up the mountain, but that's does, that's not going to heaven. Right? Don't tell me heaven went down and touched the mountain. Not literally, because heaven's not a place. So what's, what's happening over here? And uh, it's kind of long. So I just want to. So I'm going to just uh, let you know that this exists, and if you're interested, you can chase it down yourself. As I said before, it's in volume four, uh, Rachel Amidala, and he was asked a question from Perpignan, which was Meiri territory, and the Meiri, where he lived, was a lot of what we would call today modern Orthodox, by the standards of the 13th century, and they were trying, you know, and, and nothing wrong with this. Uh, I don't mean in a bad way. They're trying to comprehend rationally as much as possible what happened over there. And as I said before, if I told you Moshe went up to Shemayim, you want to tell me it's the expression because he can go up to Shemayim, not 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 climbing up. That's Jack and the Beanstalk. You can't climb up. So you say it's the expression. What do you mean when it's the expression? It didn't exactly happen the way. Although it's not a fantasy either. Something happened because he came back with a Torah, right? So what is the mechanics of that? So listen, to this. the guy writes to the Rajva several questions. And he says, The Rosh says, You were told in my name. You heard that I regard Parshish Yisro and the whole story of Maimon Hasini as non-literal. Right? And you like that. Now, uh, when I say non-literal, it was all nevui, it was all pro- prophetic. The people all reached the high Madriga prophecy and they perceived the mountain on fire. They perceived this and happened. They perceived the Kol Shover, but it didn't actually happen. So once you tell me it's a prophetic feeling, it's a miracle, and it's significant, but it didn't physically happen. That's what you heard in my name. But you were bothered by the fact that how could everybody be masig that since Rock me, she is a Kadmus, Akdomus Harusla. 
And that's because you are a rationalist, a super rationalist, and like the Rambab, you, you, you cannot accept that a person can get prophecy, can get a communication from upstairs, unless you've already gone to medical school, unless you've already gone to prophecy school. The Rambam is of the opinion in the Mornavuchim, this very famous, that uh, the, as he puts it, and I just taught this in a class, there are three opinions on uh, prophecy, he says. The dumbbells, the Greek philosophers, and the Torah. The dumbbells say that anybody can get in the book if God chooses. So you can be an uh, ignoramus and walk down the street if Hashem, for his reasons, chooses to send a message through you. This dummy can come to Shul and say, I got a, a, a new book from Hashem. And I'll give you an example. He'll say like this. The winning number next week in the Powerball will be such and such. And it is. <laughs> How'd that happen? But the dummies, the Rambam says, say such a thing is possible. But then, he says, the Greek philosophers, who are great intellectuals, they said that Navua is something you have to work at. The Hainu, it's something that comes after a result of going through a certain curriculum. So I would compare it, uh, using my own words, like becoming a doctor. You ain't going to be a situation where you're ignorant, heck, and then next morning you're a doctor. That's not possible. On the other hand, if you were an ignorant hick and you said, I'm, I'm consumed by a passion to become a doctor, and first I'm going to learn alpha base, I'm going to learn the alphabet, then I'm going to learn this, I'm going to finish high school regimen, then I'm going to do a college pre-med, then I'm going to do my four years of medical school and all the rest of it, you will be a doctor. You know what I mean? In other words, if you do the right thing and you have an IQ, they can get into med school do the MCATs and so forth and so on, right? If you have that, and you're not a weirdo, uh, emotionally and so forth, uh, then you could do it. In fact, in fact, you will do it. It's not possible for a person to do all that training and ace all the tests and not become a doctor. Uh, if you prefer another metaphor, like the Rambam is more fun, suppose I was a healthy person and I went to a gym every day and said, I'm going to work out. Instead of being a big, fat slob, I'm going to be, you know, Mr. Adonis or something like this, Mr. Muscle. And again, assuming that I have a normal constitution and I get a good personal trainer and I do it right, I consult my doctor, et cetera, et cetera, and I put in five hours a day weightlifting according to a prescribed thing from the personal trainer. It's not possible after a while. I'm not going to get the muscles. And so that's the Greek philosophers say, if you undertake the right curriculum of study and practice and uh, lifestyle changes, you will become a Navi, right? That's because the Greeks, the Rambam says, kind of believe in what you and I today would call ESP. Therefore, it's something you automatically get. The Torah position, the third position, the Rambam says, agrees with the Greeks that you can't get it just like that, but you got to work at it. And you're not going to get Nebuah unless you work at it. And on the other hand... Even if you do everything you're supposed to do and work at it like crazy, and you you know adopt a certain lifestyle and a certain eating way, and a certain this and a certain that, you do what you're supposed to do. Even then, Hashem may or may not give it to you. No guarantee, because Hashem is a Nevuah is a Russian thing. Whoever he wants to give it to, he gives it to. Whoever he doesn't, he doesn't. That's what it boils down to. If you ask me, what does the training consist of? The Rambam doesn't describe it. Others do, Ramchal and others, you know, a lot of meditation stuff. First you train yourself to meditate on a, on a soda bottle. And then once you're used to that, 
Then you switch to Seamus Hashem and things like that. Okay, now, having said that, so what you're telling me is, again, using a, a rough metaphor, becoming a Novi is like getting an MD, roughly. So how could 600,000 people and more come to Arsini with no training whatsoever? They're all just escaped slaves. Most of them were Memtashari to anyway. Uh, who knows what ideas they have in their mind. And now by Harsina, all of a sudden, they, 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 they are Masig Nevoah. You get it? They hear, I mean, let's put it this way. They hear Ten Commandments. How can you do that? Or at least two commandments. How can you do that? Now, this bothered the philosophers a lot. And the guys writing to the Rajman saying, how do you understand it? Right? Because the whole thing was a prophetic experience that they all came to the bottom of the mountain and then they had one joint in the Vua, which is amazing. But nothing physical happened over there. How could regular Hamonam get in the Vua? This is a problem the Rambam wrestles with, believe it or not, in the more Nebuchim at considerable length. He's really bothered by this. And I remember it came, I must have mentioned this here in the past. I'm sure I did. It's one of the more famous Rambam's controversial ones. And he says, people only understood a little bit. The, the first two, the other thing, they heard blah, 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 garble, and only Moshe Rabbeinu heard articulated sounds. Rambam has a highly complex understanding of Maimar Sinai. Those are interesting, go look there. And the commentaries in the Rambam, like the Barber, will go to town on this. But here's the Rajwa. And the guy's saying, I know you're a rationalist. So how do you understand that everybody got the Nebuah? That's a long piece, but uh, I'll just start you off. And he says, and the Rajah, who is always Mr. Normal Yeshivish, that's who the Rajah is, in Hashkavah-wise, very middle-of-the-road, normal, from, of course, obviously, yeah, regular. And the Rajah says, Da, um, ki be'emes masha ma'min ani ba'ma'min I just want you to know something. If you want to know what I think, not what others tell you, I think, about Harsinai, I believe that if you read Parshas Yisrael and read the story of the giving of the Ten Commandments, which is the most important story in the Torah, part of it is literal and part of it is not. Right? Part of it is prophetic. But part of it isn't. Part of it actually happened. For Yeshua Nevui, some parts are Nevui, and other things were not Nevui. They're real. They literally happen. Hashema, Haruz, Hargeshem. They're things that the Jews saw. They did see it. It's not an expression. Things that the Jews heard. Right? There are things that the Jews felt. Let me explain. The Nevui. Part of it they actually physically saw, and part not. They perceived instead prophetically. All the stories in Pasha's uh, Yisro, up to a certain point. That which it says, for example, uh, that Moshe got him out of the camp to go to the bottom of the mountain. That happened. Okay. Uh, they're surrounding a mountain with a with a fence. That happened. Alias Moshe Baron. The motion went up the mountain. He physically ascended the mountain. That happened. The mountain was shaking and smoke was coming. There was smoke. I believe that. Right? I believe that. Uh, and it says the, the sound of the shofar was there. Mind you, there wasn't a shofar there, but there was a kola shofar. And uh, the brokim and the lapidim, the lightning and thunder. 
They saw all this. This was physical. It was real. It was a miracle. It was a pella, but it was real. Okay? It's physical. There's no reason to deny that. It's got to be that way. And he goes on to go into this in great uh, detail. Right? On the other hand, the hearing of the voice of God, that was not physical. Because God does not have a voice. Right? And he tries to bring proofs over there, and so on and so forth. And so we have a long, very, very interesting Rashba. Um, somebody should translate this. I don't think it's translated. Uh, it's very, very interesting. Which parts he considered to be literal, and which parts he considered not literal. And uh, in my opinion, anybody's a bar hockey. Like the Suffins, you get a hold of this Chibas Arash, this is something to go over on Shabbos. And he says, I don't have to get down with what the philosophers say. These are common sense. Certain things, obviously, if you heard Hashem talking, that's not something that's not, you can hear a voice, that's not God talking, that's a Nevuah type thing. You see? And so on and so forth. Now, um, he goes on to say, and this is, again, to my mind, very, very interesting, uh, as follows. He says, and what about the business that only uh, people who've gone through medical training, so to speak, a whole series of exercise and educational propedeutics, only they are capable of attaining the Vua? Not true. He says, I don't believe a drama like that. I believe it's true as a general proposition. You know, some drunk is not going to get in the Vua typically, but a human being can get it, and if God wants to, on a certain occasion for a reason, like Maimon Arsena, to convey to the whole call you throw, one-time experience, they could get it. Right? And he brings a very interesting proof. And he says, I don't have to accept the axioms of the philosophers and only this person get in the room and that person get in the room. It's not true. Maybe in general you do, but it's not it's not impossible for a human being to get in the room, including the 600,000 Jews or 3 million, whatever, that were Harsinai. And he says, It's not impossible. To say that an unlearned person can't prophesy, in the way, same way you would say that a frog can't prophesy, or a donkey, that's not the same thing. An animal can't prophesy, an animal doesn't have a brain. A human being has a brain, has a human personality. A spark of God. That's different. A human being. The human being has the capacity to prophesy. I do. Me. Me. Here. Giving this podcast. And you do too. I repeat, you have the capacity. And it's possible to bring that 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 uh, potential into actuality. Now, I wouldn't wait. <laughs> I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you. Waiting till Dove Katz gets to the But it could happen. And he brings a fascinating proof how the Rishonim learned Tanakh from King Saul. If you remember the story, Saul was the first king. Saul was the first king. He was looking for his donkeys, right? And uh, he went to see the prophet Samuel, Shemuel Nabi. And uh, to his shock, Shemuel said, don't worry about the donkeys. Get down. He poured the oil in his hand and said, Hashem has just named you king of Israel. And Saul was... Uh, was uh, we're not ready for this. 
Now, where was Shaul holding religiously at that point? A minute later, after Shmuel anoints him, he says, today you're going to get Nevoah. It's going to hit you like a double whammy. You'll spaz a little and so forth and go with the flow. If you look over there, you'll meet three Novis coming down from a base sale and they'll have music and animals. And like I say, you'll go with the flow and, and you'll be, and, and the spirit of God will be pointing you and you begin to prophesy. Now, that's a complex subject. How's the Rajah see it? Usually, the from way to read that, I'm sure Abdesla or some of that, the from way to read would be like this. You think Saul was some, some hick who's looking for his father's donkeys? Oh, you dummy. Shaul was an unbelievable tzaddik. He was working on himself, Yom Belaylo, Al-Pider HaMusser. In Hanami, he lost his donkeys. The father went looking for that. But that's not who Shaul was. And that's why God picked him. He didn't pick some yuts. He picked a person very hamadriga. And Shaul was, as they say, working for years to get to Nevoah. He lived such a lifestyle. He was Zahir, and so on and so forth. And as a result of his efforts, God chose him to be king. So he was, as we would say today, one minute before 12, you know, two minutes before 12. He was just about to hit the Madriga to be a Navi. And when he's anointed by Shemuel, that's when he gets ding, ding. He hit the level to be a Navi. And that's why Shemuel says, you're about to get what you've been in the quest for until now and go with the flow. Go with the flow. You know, it says, give it your full efforts, the lotion is, and go with the flow. And, and Shaul begins to prophesy. Later, when this is withdrawn from him, he freaks out. That's the story of the terrible mind games that were the punishment of Saul after he failed to kill a god. Shine. That is not how the Rashi reads it. The Rashi says Shaul was a regular guy. I'm sure he's righteous, all the rest of it. He had no practice in Nebuah. He was a farmer. Again, could have been a Tom Lechachim and all that, but he was a farmer. Right? And uh, um, he had no uh, practice in being a Novi. And he just got hit with it anyway. Because God wanted to give it to him that day. The Indian Chakasa, where is it? Chakasa Bashal, Yo Dienuze, the Rajput says. The story of King Saul tells us this. Saul was not known as somebody who was working to hit the Madrega of being a Navi. In spite of his lack of training, that day he started to prophesy among others. And that's why people didn't know him said, Hagam when did Saul become a prophet? He wasn't in, um, in in school to learn prophecy. When did when did he get this? Lomar, Hagam Even Shaul, who didn't take any study of prophecy the way the Bnei did, without any preparation. So all you see over here is, it's possible if Hashem wants to, he can give the word to somebody who hasn't worked at it. I'm not saying the guy's a Russia. I'm not saying the guy's a drunk or a drug taker or something like that. But a regular person from Jew, sincerely from and so forth and so on, it could happen, right? So for some people, most people, you got to work at it like medical school. And some people not. They just get it. And I, it says, That's, for somebody who wants to be a full-time Navi. But there's exceptions. And this won't be hard if you believe in miracles. And so, as I said before, I just read you a piece or two 
from this very, very interesting Chubas Arashba, who always had a very commonsensical kind of approach, a from commonsensical approach. And you see the greatest minds of the Jewish people were always trying to comprehend what exactly happened to Sinai, realizing they cannot climb the mountain, realizing Hagbel is so hard, there are certain parts you can't go beyond. Right? So as a, that's a very Jewish kind of thing. You want to climb the mountain, but you know there are certain parts you don't go to. And the reason you know there are certain parts you don't go to is not because it's dangerous necessarily, although it is that, but because you'll get it wrong. You will misunderstand. You misunderstand. And this is the classic story of Acher, who went into parties with the other guys, and he came out, he misunderstood, and they went off the derch. Right? It's not that he didn't comprehend and felt like he's a failure. The opposite. He thought there are two Rishuyos. So these are like heavy topics. And it's what I mean. I just scratched the surface. The Parshish Yisrael is um, very productive of uh, intellectual speculation. And that's good. And uh, I think this gives you plenty to talk about over the weekend, particularly on Shabbos, to try to figure out what exactly happened to Harsinai with the information that we have. Not trying to persuade yourselves though that you can figure out the actual truth. With that, I wish you a good week and a good Shabbos. And once again, I thank the Stefanskis for their steadfast sponsorship. And I wish the Selfins of Mazel Tov, the Shmuel Simkul Bar Mitzvah. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.